0: Hey, Disc Golf fans, welcome back to another edition of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the world of professional disc golf's newest fashionista, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing tonight, man?
1: (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) I didn't know I made it all the way to fashionista already, but I appreciate it.
0: Well, with those awesome designs that you're putting out for your fans, uh, how could you not be? Yeah, we got some cool stuff. I mean,
1: just kind of an idea that uh, I talked to my buddy Andrew down in LA about to to work some more merchandise. And I was first planning on like doing it how I've always done it and ordering like a couple hundred t shirts and having them here at the house and shipping them out. But he had this better idea to be able to offer like a wider variety of products and it's all just pre orders and then everything gets made to order and shipped directly from him. So that's a the store link, the easiest way to find it is probably to go through my Instagram bio and you can click right there and see the stuff we have. It's like hoodies and sweatshirts and windbreakers and hats and stuff. But uh, as of the time that this episode drops, the pre-order window is only going to be open for like another day. So if you haven't seen that yet and you want to hurry up, check it out. Maybe you still have time to get yourself some Nate Sexton
0: gear. You know what, Nate? And it makes a lot of sense too, because you've got all of this free time on your hands as a professional disc golfer, doing the show mez, your own podcast, a father, a husband. Uh, why why not just throw one more thing in there?
1: <laughs> I've tried and sometimes it works okay. But the hardest thing I think it's just like getting the sizing right. Cause you're like, how many two XLs do I need? Okay. Maybe a couple three XLs and you always get it wrong. Like it's you run out of a size real quick and, and that's the size everybody wants all of a sudden. And then you're like, man, dang, I missed out on hooking all these people up with a shirt they wanted because I couldn't get the numbers right. With the pre-orders, All that all that stress is off me. Well, it sounds like you're
0: doing it the right way. Now Nate, before we get to our guests, everybody knows we got to take care of a little bit of business and talk about our friends over at fisherdiscgolf.com, home of the disc stacks. You can catch them live every Tuesday and Friday on Facebook and YouTube. You can find them at the fisherdiscgolf page on Facebook um, really doing some awesome things they've got uh, something new that they're going to be introducing I saw today on their social media they're gonna be doing a hat stacks similar to their disc stacks so um, they're constantly adding new things to there um, Fisher disc golf has some awesome new apparel for the disc golfers to get out there hoodies and dry fits and all sorts of neat things like that of course they've got all 18 brands of discs available uh, constantly adding new stuff on there they still have a few of those holiday boxes left and As of this morning, when I was speaking to Levi, the box that features the dynamic basket is still available. So that's still out there. So you guys can visit FisherDiscOff.com, pick up one of those holiday mystery boxes that's packed with goodies, and maybe you're the one that gets that basket. Uh, Again, we know that they have 18 different brands, a ton of great apparel, uh, guys that are really just doing it the right way, guys from Michigan that are just uh, really kind of uh, making a big scene in the uh, in the disc golf world. And we can't thank them enough. And a wonderful way to support the show is by supporting our sponsors. So go ahead and visit FisherDiscGolf.com. And Nate, if they want to get that free shipping and save 10% off their first purchase, what do they got to do?
1: Yeah, you got to use our code RUNIT10. I almost thought you were going to forget free shipping. I was ready. I had that locked and loaded, ready to go for Fisher. But free shipping, that matters. And RUNIT10 will save you 10%.
0: Yeah. Again, if you're you're a disc golf fan and you're buying discs anyway, uh, a lot of times people say, well, I'll just go to my local store because I don't want to pay for shipping. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Free shipping, 10 percent off and just so many discs to choose from. So uh, like Nate said, code run at 10 and save yourself 10 percent and support the show and support our sponsors. Now, Nate, I also wanted to mention our friends over at UDISC. Uh, we talked a lot about them last week, and we know how important they are to what you guys do with the big sexy commentary. And they've got a really new awesome feature that just rolled out on the U Disc app.
1: Yeah, and I, I can't I actually cannot wait to try this. I'm gonna try this my next practice round that I play, but this is map scoring mode for U And basically what this does is instead of, you know, obviously you just already could keep some stats for you and you could tell the app, like how far you made this putt from, or when you went out of bounds and you could get some statistics for your round. But this now is going to be like with the GPS in your phone, you're going to have like a bird's eye view of the course. And you just have to say, here I am at my lie. And it's going to like triangulate that position and draw you like a little picture of like, okay, your drive went a little right. And then you happen to make it from hundred feet. And it shows you like The history of where you went, where your discs went to navigate that entire course. So it sounds really cool. You're going to be able to see this thing and be able to share like a great shot. If you make it from 250 feet, you're like, dude, I was over there by the tree. You can prove it now. It's like you show it right there. This is where I landed and that's where I made it from, you know? So map based scoring, super cool new feature. They're always adding new stuff, but this one, it's got me excited for sure. I'm going to try that and I'm going to post it when I get, when I have a little round and, uh, and have the time to put in around and, and show you guys like where exactly what spots I found myself in on the course.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to check this out. So guys, if you're listening and you're not already using the Udisc app, make sure you hop into your app store on whatever uh, phone that you're using. Go ahead and download Udisc, have it right on your phone. And like I said, I'm finding out from this show that it's more than just a, a scorecard on your phone. I mean, it can really help enhance your entire game.
1: And and gosh, for me, I know I said this last time, but it, it so enhances my enjoyment of consuming professional disc golf. Like I don't always have time to like sit there and watch a live broadcast, but I definitely have time to pop open disk and go, "Oh my gosh, look at that run of birdies! Or he's going to eagle that, or you know, and just keep track of all these statistics." I don't know, I nerd out on it, and I really like having that available when I want to see how the tournament's going. It Tells such a deeper story than just looking at the final
0: scores. Yeah. So, really an awesome tool for, uh, whether you're a beginner or you're a serious player who's out there playing a lot, UDisc can, uh, can do more than just keep your score, but it can really enhance your entire disc golf experience. And we thank them for being a friend of this show. We've gotten all your emails, guys. We've gotten all the comments and all of the inbox messages. They've asked for it and they're getting it. Who's our guest today?
1: Well, I think what we're going to do is, uh, you know have this guy back as kind of like a a recurring guest it's it's my good friend Jeremy Coling just to get that out of the way it's the big germ but what i want to do is have like six or seven guests and then bring them back and check back in with them and when he gets boring which he hasn't done yet in the years that i've known him then obviously we'll stop having him on but we might as well squeeze every last drop out of him while we've got him so without further ado it's 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 the my, my
2: main man it's big germ coling
0: Welcome back, Germ. (laughs) Well,
2: that was an amazing introduction. I just wanted to go ahead and right off the top, just go ahead and let you guys know that I'm changing my name from Big Germ to the Big Kahuna. Um, So from here on out, uh, I will not be recognizing Germ as the surname anymore. It is Kahuna. All right. We got a name for this episode. It's going to be confusing (laughs) for people looking
1: in the feeds, but the guest for this episode, Big Kahuna. Dude,
0: dropping it right here. Hot dish for everybody. The big cajun is with us. I couldn't be any more excited.
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's been um, what has it been? It's only been a couple of weeks since we last talked, but I mean, I get the uh, the pleasure of doing showmes with you every week, so it really doesn't feel like it's been any time at all. No, no,
1: I mean, we're definitely collaborating at this point. I'm happy about it though, because we we've, mm-hmm. we've been missing out the on the uh, in person time with all the suspensions of the tour and everything else, which we've talked about at length, but. Definitely happy to have you back on. Oh, just just the COVID, the everything, everything going weird. You've you've heard about it, haven't you? You heard no, about no, it a little I, bit?
2: I, yeah, no, I remember. I remember.
1: Okay, now. yeah. You, you, I thought. You, <laughs> I thought maybe you'd heard about it. Good. Yeah. oh mm-hmm. every everything obviously fine, but uh, you know, yeah, I'm just like, happy to happy to have you back on. And I think I think you know after the story you gave us last time, it was kind <laughs> of a like, yeah, okay, we're gonna have to. We we, we're going to have to see some more stuff that's in there because obviously I've spent tons of time with you, but there's still things that you'll bring up that obviously I haven't heard yet. So that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to bring to the fans, just this goofy stuff and stories. And honestly, you help me remember things.
2: I feel like you have a lot better and clearer memory than I do. The guy that I was partnered with messaged me um, like the day after the podcast came out. And he set the story straight with all the facts that actually happened. Okay, well, look,
1: maybe a quick update is in order. The guy that from this <laughs> from the original story at the yes. Steve Brinster course, mm-hmm. yes. the partner that was falling down a lot, maybe it turns out <laughs> wasn't falling down at
2: all. Yeah, that was the first thing he said. He was like, "Well, I don't really remember falling over at all," but. Well, he said, you wouldn't I, I de- remember. you wouldn't remember <laughs> well the other thing is he said he doesn't uh he doesn't remember drinking and playing and i don't even know if he i think he said he doesn't even know if he ever drinks and plays disc golf so I, <laughs> oh my god you really <laughs> do you might have done him well, kind of dirty I, I i felt bad because when he called me out i you know when he introduced himself i was like oh man this came, this guy came searching um but you know i we, we did have a nice little, um, we got to see each other at Vermont. I think I may have mentioned that in the story um, last year or the year before. Or so, so like we kind of had a, Oh my gosh, Hey, it's you moment. And um, we got to relive that special day once again, briefly, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean the legend grows as the story goes. And so, uh, you know, as the years go by, I try to add in at least one more detail every time I tell the story. So. <laughs> Ask no need to, to let story f- again in one year we'll see what uh what new things i throw in there there's no need to let facts get in the way of a fun story germ <laughs> that's what i said i was like you know what man it was a pretty epic story i may have gotten some details wrong but i mean that's what that's what a
0: story is man it's, that's what it is it's just be, it's supposed to be entertainment well the uh the 2021 tour schedule has been released uh have you guys both had a chance to sit down and talk and do we know what events we're going to see big sexy out on the course together on? Well, I that's think it's, it's a little bit tentative
1: still. Uh, but certainly Las Vegas, that's uh that's event mm-hmm. number one coming up. And, and I think at this point, you know, I don't know, we're going to, we might have to start calling it big sexy Barry. Cause we got, we got a trio now. Yep. So yeah. it's going to be all three of us working together and, uh, on the practice rounds and everything. So, uh, I think, I think that's going to be really fun and, uh, I'm so looking forward to it despite, um you know all the all the issues with trying to host a large scale event in these times i'm just really looking forward to getting out there and and uh trying to throw
2: yeah in 2020 was a you know not only did um was it a bummer for a million actual like main reasons but the the sad thing for disc golf is that they really didn't get the big sexy feel not in jom at least i mean we gave them the memorial and then we gave them the cbs and espn broadcast um, and actually I guess we did the post-produced stuff for the DDO, but that didn't come out for months yeah, after yeah. the event. So it really was weird because the, the brand itself was growing so strong and the merchandise was moving well and it ended up being a pretty nice like side gig, um, you know, just financially just a uh, you know, it kind of unexpected that we would merchandise the big sexy brand, but it became a hit. And then like, just like that, boom, it, it, uh, kind of gets derailed a bit and, but you know, it just paved the way for an opportunity for Paul Ulibar to step up, and and uh, like Nate has said, there, you know, we, we we've got some pretty exciting things in the plans for for 2021, and we're going to see if the uh, the microphone is big enough for for the three of us.
1: I mean, DDO
2: again is is a high
1: priority one for me because I like going to mm-hmm. Emporia and seeing those those guys and what show what the big show that they put on, and then. After that, kind of the West Coast swing, although it's like almost too much for me to do uh, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, Portland, Portland, and then Worlds all back to back to back to back. So we'll see which ones of those I can do. And it all kind of works with my wife's schedule and when she's working the night shift and, you know, things can get crazy. But I'll probably play the majority of those tournaments. And then uh, after that, uh, obviously the World Championships that I briefly mentioned. Then I want to play the Preserve because I want to see Kale's property. And I want to play the Ledgestone because it's awesome. And (laughs) I want to play... Former champion. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to play the uh, MVP and the Green Mountain and the USDGC. And I'm not sure if I'm forgetting anything there, but... Those are kind of the oh a european open uh that would be the one I guess that's a kind of a big one major and all be sure those are that that would that, that's my dream schedule right now if I could get to those tournaments, I'd be so happy, obviously hard to predict anything right now, but that's that's as much predicting as I can do is that I want to play those
2: my prediction is you know if everything um, somehow is able to run smoothly, which you know, there have been a lot of surprises and, you know, the initial cancellation or the postponement of, of tournaments. I definitely thought there would be a lot more, um, um, I don't know, uncertainty with coming into the 2021 season, but I think that now we've kind of weathered, I'm not going to say we weathered the COVID storm, but we've weathered like our expectations and we kind of know how to like organize around it now that we've been exposed to that environment. And I think that, with that knowledge of what works and what does not work, I think that tournaments are more likely than not going to continue running. And, um, you know, I I say that with just a little bit of hesitation, I suppose, because, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. But at this point, my my schedule is pretty much from March to September. I mean, I – I want to have a little bit more time here in Charlotte and home and and resting and being away from tour but my commitment to Jemma is a strong. I really want to be there for them to do all the events. So as of right now my plan is to play every single national tour and every single disc golf pro tour with the exception of potentially missing a couple of those Portland events because that's right around Jules' birthday and we have been trying to plan some sort of vacation off season didn't really work because of COVID restrictions. So we're now we're, we've got our eyes set on um, the summer. Um, so, you know, again, it just, it's really all dependent on, on how it all shakes out. But uh, as of right now, you know, I mean, every single event that Nate's talking about being at more than likely I'll be there too. That's how the Kahuna does it every time. <laughs> if I ever, ever, I go anywhere, the Kahuna there. And I, I love that about
1: it.
0: <laughs> well, I where are you going to go on vacation?
2: Well, you know, I don't think there, I don't think a day has passed in the last three weeks to a month that Jules has not mentioned Hawaii. And I tell you what, I, I really, really want to go to Hawaii as well. There's, there's two States, um, in the U.S. I S I haven't been to yet. And one of them surprisingly is Maine. Um, cause I've been so close to, to, to stopping up there, but a lot of really great disc golf courses I really want to check out up there at some point. Um, I've driven through a lot of states without actually stopping in. So I don't know if you count that or not, but um, the only other state that I actually have not been to is Hawaii. And I mean, who doesn't want to go check out Hawaii at some point? Where else would the big kahuna go? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had originally talked about going to Tulum, Mexico. There's some really great sightseeing there. Um, beautiful beaches, beautiful beaches, And, um, I have never been to Mexico and I did, I've never really been anywhere tropical aside from Puerto Rico for my sister's wedding back in 2014. So, you know, I, I've, I've actually never been on a true vacation either. Every time I've gone traveling, I've gone traveling for disc golf or for some other purpose other than actually just being on vacation. And, um, You know, I mean, it's kind of an amazing privilege to have the opportunity to go on vacation, but it's something that I think we all, if if you have the means to afford it and to go treat yourself to it, you know, it's, it's a nice way to just break the monotony of everyday life. And, um, it's something that, you know, we've been really looking forward to in this house for a long time.
1: Couple things. Hawaii is all, is the only state I haven't been to. So I want to go there as well. That sounds awesome. And I think I got to mention our next guest coming up, who I'm super excited about, who's been in Hawaii for what feels like six months based on her Instagram, <laughs> yeah. uh, is Paige Pierce. So we're going to have Paige Pierce on the show uh, the very next episode. Really excited to talk to her. We're going to have her on the show the day after she finally gets back from that off season time she spent in Hawaii. And I'm really excited to talk to her.
2: Anyway. Next thing I will, is, uh, I will be paying attention to that show because I want to find out what, where she's been, how she's been able yeah. to stay there that long, and can yeah. I get some of that? Yeah, <laughs> like, man. Yeah, I, like, I mean, she me knows some, some stuff Hawaii. about
1: Hawaii. That's for sure. She can definitely give you some advice. I think.
2: <laughs> Please.
1: And then, uh, secondly, Tulum. I've been mm-hmm. there thrice, thrice, man. What? That's one of the places have you that really? I'm, that's one of the places that I've really been to a lot, and it it was two times wow. in high school because my dad worked. At Oregon State University in Forest Science, and they had a decomposition study down in that oh, area. So, very cool. Two times in high school, my dad had to go there, and we kind of like rolled it into the whole family going, which was awesome. We did like snorkeling and just kind of hanging out. It was pretty, you know, we're doing it definitely on a budget and having a good time, just as our family and, um, you know, tr- do, do doing as much as we could with four mm-hmm. brothers and two parents. But, uh, so, and then I went back for, uh, Brie and I's honeymoon. So w- when I was an adult, obviously. So yeah, I've been there. I, I would definitely highly recommend it. It's a really nice place.
2: I'm, I'm super excited in that. I mean, you know, now I get to listen to the podcast next week and you have to tell Paige about your experiences and she can tell you about Hawaii and then Jules and I can then discern where we want to go based on next week's podcast. That's smart. That's smart. That's That's kind of service we hope to bring with this show you know, a lot of different
0: things. All I can think about right now is, Jerem, you have no idea what you just did to me, because I don't know if you know this or not, but Nate's kind of a big deal in the Pacific Northwest, and I am going to get bombarded with messages now. Why isn't Jerem coming to Portland? What why would he do, uh, because every single look, every single episode comes with a bunch of questions with well when's Nate going to have Paul come back to Oregon when's Nate going to uh, so I, I'm going to get crushed now
2: thanks Look here's the thing Portland is one of my absolute favorite locations on tour Austin and Portland the two cities whose motto is keep it weird or strange. And, you know, that is all about, I, I love that atmosphere. I love that culture. I love the arts. I love everything about Portland. I love the music. I love the gastronomy. I love the, just the, the, the city itself has a really live, you know, feel to it that really I, I, I connect with. And, um, I really hope I can at least come to to Portland for at least a week. But like I said, it just remains to be seen, but. The plan is to, to hopefully swing in a little bit of time up there this year. Possible vacation year. spot. I mean. <laughs> We've done that before. Jules and I <laughs> had a had – a, she spent her, her birthday up there in 2019, um, and then we ended up going to Washington State uh, to Falls River Falls, I believe is the name of it, which is just this absolutely spectacular waterfall. And we, we got to spend the day out there and it was an amazing day. But, uh, but if you know Jules and and, and I'm guessing only Nate knows Jules <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the three of us. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, she is a beach person, her soul and her, her heart belong at the beach on the shore. And I don't think we can spend another vacation up in Washington state. I even, I know they have beaches, but she wants some, some warm sun.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. That's harder to find for that's sure. What, that's
2: what we're looking for.
1: <laughs> well, cool, man. I wanted to, uh, I, I thought of a couple questions for you. And the first one that I kind of want to dig into in our conversation, I yeah. feel like, you know, you're, you're the big guy. Everybody knows and they think of you. The kahuna. All too often. Yeah. All too often. I feel like they think of you as only being big and, you know, muscular and just a great looking guy, but I don't think people think enough. (laughs) I don't think people think enough about uh, your artistic side because I know you've, I know you've kind of had a chance to talk about this stuff a little bit, but I thought with like all this, uh, you know, the, that little poll that they were doing, the discussion of like player logos You've designed like, or at least had a hand in designing so many different logos and you have like a Mm -hmm. pretty serious passion for being like a crafty guy and a graphic design guy. So I just wanted to give you a chance to sort of hit us with some of that, how you got into that, what you're doing (laughs) with it now, and you know, all the logos that you, that you've kind of, uh, (laughs) fathered.
2: Well, um, I guess to, to knock that one out, um, the logos that I'm the most proud of, that I've worked on. Um, I guess I love my logo. I I've tried designing things that for me in the past, and I get a little bit sheepish about it for some reason. I just don't really get as excited about working on a project that says me, my name, my logo, my identity, so on and so forth. So when I, when I designed my logo, which was about 10 years ago now, it was the first time that I ever like really connected with something graphically that, that had my likeness on it. Um, and that, that logo has continued to evolve um, just slightly here and there. Um, not anything that anyone else would notice, but like I'm always tinkering with stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm pleased with the way my logo came out, but the most successful logo I think I've designed um, is Paul Yulabar's logo, the Yuli shield, um, which one, um, best logo or best player logo in the sport. Um, on like on that recent poll, um, that Robbie guy did on his Instagram page, which is where you beat me by 17 votes out of like (laughs) 3,500 people for best commentator. Uh, (laughs) and the, uh, the other one is the Saki bomb Chevron logo. Um, so Saki bombs, main logo that he's been using for five, six years. Um, I designed that as well. Um, as well as that's just a Ricky, small, that's Ricky Waisaki for anybody who is uninitiated. Yeah. Okay. Yes, correct. Ricky, Ricky Waisaki. Um, I, I designed over the off season, James Conrad's logo, but I don't know, I don't know if he's going to unveil that or not, but it's a pretty cool chain link inspired J and C that connect, um, like two chain links would. Um, but I, I, I more, more than just designing logos, which is like one of my main things I really, really like to do. And thank you, by the way, for giving me this opportunity to talk about this. Um, I just love being crafty in general. Um, one of my, my, my main um, passions that has developed over the last two years is um, working with my Cricut machine, which is like my vinyl cutter. And um, it cuts out a lot more than just vinyl, but I usually use it to cut out heat transfer vinyl stuff. So I've been working on designing a lot of the player shirts that you see out on tour. Um, some of the shirts that like James Conrad wore this year that were really sharp or last year with, um, is in of a logo on, on the, that rose shirt that he wore. Um, anytime you see any of the shirts that I'm wearing now, it's stuff that I've done, um, just in my craft room. Um, and I, I, gosh, I must've spent over $1,500 just on different vinyl rolls and glitter sparkle vinyls and just stuff. That's kind of wild out there.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely look forward to when you have the cricket with you because I then I can bring shirts or we can go to like <laughs> uh-huh. Dick Sporting Goods or something. And it's like, oh, man, sweet. Because I don't know. Maybe this is something people don't really think about. But like you if you score like a sweet polo out there on the road yep. somewhere, you can't just wear that thing right away. It doesn't have any sponsors yep. on it. So you have to yep. ship that over to Innova get them to do it all up and make it look nice. But that can be kind of a long turnaround time sometimes if there's a lot of players doing it or they're busy with other stuff. So now that germ has like the mobile shirt shop, like I'm always stoked for that. Cause I can just get a shirt and then you're like, yep. you're, you're like taking it to another level, like t- pushing me into color places. I might not usually go, <laughs> which is kind of fun just to like, you know, get some cool stuff. And so that's always really fun. You didn't even mention that the work you did to help the help along the, uh, the disc flip caricature of mine that's, oh, on the, you know, wow. you were kind of part of that yeah. as well, that, that, that graces all the Sexton Firebirds.
2: So the 2015 Firebird has that original DX Firebird graphic as the main element. But when you see Nate Sexton silhouette, that is a graphic that, um, that I felt, I, that I thought really exemplified your focus and like really showed nate sexton like you seem very composed when you're on the course and that disc flip to me represented you being in tune to the next shot having a short memory being focused and and geared in and um and ended up being kind of an iconic thing that you've used for the sexton shootout you've used it for pound bag merchandise um and yeah i i, I it's hard to say I forgot. It's just, there's so many things, but yeah, I definitely didn't mention it. And that was definitely one of my, my prouder things um, is seeing that disc be so popular and so sought after. And, and when I, when I think about it that way, I don't really even think about my artwork being on there because it's so heavily prominent on the, um, the DX Firebird artwork, but it certainly is a, a, an important element that's added to the disc.
1: Yeah. I think you just weren't, you weren't quite as like start to finish with it as you were obviously right. with Yuli and, and Waisaki and their logos. So maybe mm-hmm. you don't think of it quite the same way, but you certainly had your, had your pause on that and, and helped me, uh, create something that was kind of cool. Cause but I've said this in interviews before people ask, like, Oh, when'd you start doing the flip? And it's like, I have no idea. Like I never, I never yeah. thought like, Hey, this sure would look cool. And like, tried to practice it. It was just <laughs> like something that my hands started doing to like calm my nerves and while I'm like getting ready. So I have no idea when I started doing that or, or why. And, you know, it just kind of became part of my routine. So then it de- yeah, it definitely was never something I like thought about or practiced. Um, my brother kind of like spins it on his finger when he gets ready and I flip it over. So yep. I don't know. We have kind of a, we both They're do both a similar cool. thing, but like not like- a, not, 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 uh, it wasn't in the lab. It wasn't like a cool move that I developed in the lab and then brought to the course. It just kind of happened. I don't know.
2: Colin's kind of swaggy the way he spins that on his, like on his offhand. And then like, kind of just loads up and like, he's pretty good putter. <laughs> like, yeah, he is.
1: I, he, he's definitely <laughs> swaggy. He, uh, the other thing that he's pretty swaggy about with the putting, I think, is he's like, I, I don't know how many people I've seen do this, but he's like, he doesn't care if the putter is wet or muddy. He, and and you know we came oh. up playing in oregon and everything you know and, he, and i'd always be like hey you need a towel he's like oh no I, i'll dry it off after i putt you know and i'm kind of <laughs> like what like you know like he doesn't it doesn't that's not a big deal he's just like whatever yeah yeah it's a little muddy and, and wet that's not a problem for
2: me. <laughs> Brian this is my this is my that. younger
1: brother for anybody who doesn't know colin is my younger brother quite a good disc golfer but uh you know a, an engineer by day a disc Not golfer. to be
2: confused with the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, Colin Sexton, who yeah. is also a swaggy baller. Yeah, that guy is intense. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Colin yeah. Sexton putting up some the name big numbers.
1: He- yeah. yeah, they just yep. beat the Nets twice in one week. I think the the big fancy
2: Nets with James Harden. Yeah, I saw that Colin broke his scoring record in the same Jersey that he was wearing in the same uh, arena on Kyrie Irving appreciation night. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Oops. (laughs) This is not supposed to be about you. Colin Sexton, but
0: he made it about him. Do you guys have, do you guys, so you you talked about, you know, I, I guess the disc flip is almost a ritual. Conrad, uh, he fans that disc so hard and so fast before he goes off. So I guess those are kind of just things that you're used to doing. Is there any superstition in either of your games? Like if you guys win a tournament, are you coming back with the same shirt next week? Ooh. I, I wouldn't take it that far. I, I wouldn't take it that far.
1: But I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I know what shirt I was wearing when I won the USDGC. And yeah. there have been times where I'm like, man, final day backs against the wall old mm-hmm. blue, throw that shirt yep. on and just feel like a US champion today and go and it tra- doesn't always work. But I, you know, I guess you could call that superstition. It's not like I bring it with me to every tournament or I always wear it on the last day, but there's certainly been mornings mm-hmm. where I woke up and was like, it's going to take something special. And I'll look at my suitcase and be like, Hey,
2: <laughs> this could be, this could uh, be just the spark we need to get over the hump. I literally the same exact thing for me. I have definitely, uh, remembered exactly the outfit that I was wearing and tried to recreate it. And I just feel like in the end, there has never been a time where I've recreated that magic of any of those special outfits. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's never quite worked in that way. like, Like I'd hoped, but, um, I can't think of any other like specific superstitions other than just my attire. I, I, can you think of anything, Nate? No, not really.
1: I, I I don't think either of us is very superstitious, but yeah, I mean, it, I'm a, it's just I'm all a routine. little stitious,
2: but I wouldn't say I'm superstitious, you know, just just a wee bit stitious. Yeah, just unlike. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. I forget who originally said that, but shout out to the person who uh, originally quoted that one. That's a classic.
0: What about anyone else? Is, is there anyone on the tour that's like gotta have a junior bacon cheeseburger before they play, or has to? I mean, is there anyone else that's got anything like that? Paul. Paul has to win.
1: <laughs> yeah, Macbeth. Yep. Yeah, he that's gets all, all weird. When he, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the closest. Yep. No, I'm sure there, I'm sure there are, but no, I'm not aware of, I don't think there's one that's like a running joke. That's like, Oh, if he doesn't get that smoothie, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything like that.
2: I mean, well, okay. So here's during my U S title run. um, I ended up getting something just came to my mind. I ended up doing the same thing every single day. Um, So maybe not between tournament to tournament, but if something's working for me in an actual event, I might do it the next day and if it works again then I'll be like all right that's what I'm doing for the rest of this tournament. So the US DGC week I was pretty much locked in my room by myself. Um I think Alex Geisinger was in the living room but like I was just focused on US DGC that week and so I just had I had my door closed. I was watching Game of Thrones cuz I was trying to catch up um at the time. <laughs> this is 2016 and um and then the next morning I went to Chick-fil-A down there in Rock Hill on Cherry Road and I got the same meal every day. I did the same warm-up routine and um I went home and I did it all over again. I mean, and I I think I listened to a uh an ohm chant, which was like a meditative chant at a certain hertz frequency that kind of got my mind in the right place. Um I listened to that the night before the first event. And so I listened to that, to that every night before I went to sleep. And I have not done any of those things ever again at any other
0: tournament. That was just a one and done. I'm not here to call you a liar, but you know damn well you didn't get that Chick-fil-A on Sunday morning. <laughs> there wasn't
2: a Sunday morning at USDGC. And there wasn't yeah, okay. a Saturday. There you go.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Did
2: Sh- U.S.
1: ought to, to end cancel. on a Saturday, but that but the hurricane blew in and ended Germ's USDGC on a Friday. So he's he can be telling the truth. And I I'll say this, I think uh, you know maybe this shows uh, maybe I lag about a year behind Germ on, on my pop culture. But mm-hmm. I was binging some Game of Thrones when I won the USDGC in twenty seven. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. We were hitting, I remember, I distinctly remember we had upgraded to unlimited data when we like went on the full-time family in the RV. And I distinctly remember that that month, how I, that my, my report came in and said, Hey, you just crossed over a hundred gigs. And it was because I was watching game of Thrones through the phone, like onto the TV in the RV. Wow. And I remember thinking like, damn, a hundred gigs. Cause I had just kind of like switched to unlimited from like a more regulated plan. And it's, and it seemed like just an unfathomable amount of streaming had been done. And that was why
2: <laughs> that's, we've never, we never discussed that. I, you know, the, um, the U S champion gets a, the, I think they usually get a say in the artwork that they make for a commemorative disc or, or maybe they just asked me to be a part of that because I do graphic design. Did they ask you to be a part of that or no?
1: Uh, they definitely like ran some ideas by me, but yeah, I, I okay. don't think
2: I was probably quite as involved as you. I was, I I mean, not surprisingly, because not this doesn't surprise me because none of the other US champions or graphic designers or really have those kind of skills or that kind of motivation. But um, I was the first disc golf US champion to design their own commemorative stamp. And when I was coming up with, the um the the design concepts one of the ideas i had was to actually design a little graphic that represented each one of those routines i was going to do a dragon i was going to do some sort of chicken sandwich i was going to do some sort of uh <laughs> ohm symbol um and like all the other things there were more things i can't remember now but all the things that were associated with that week i was going to try to put them together in some sort of like collage and i couldn't really come up with an aesthetic that really made any sense or would have been interesting to anybody. And then I would have eh, thinking like, why is there a dragon and a chicken sandwich on this disc? Like it would have been really stupid. Now I think about it, but <laughs> uh, I was going to have fun with it. But in the end um I ended up going with the uh, maze design. If anyone's seen that one, it's a, it's, yeah, it's cool. a, a concentric maze that um has words written in the actual maze design. And it's a workable maze. So you go from the outside into the middle. And so that was, Kind of a cool concept that ended up coming together.
0: That's awesome. Germ. I get a ton of questions, and I guess this is applied to, to both of you guys. I get so many questions about when you're doing practice rounds or you're out there playing, do you put the earbuds in? Do you listen to music? Or just in general, what some of your favorite bands are? So we're here. We're <laughs> hanging out. We're talking. Let's talk music for a minute. This will be a
1: funny answer for because <laughs> me and Germ have kind of a thing about music and uh, playing that
2: comes up quite a lot. Don't play it. <laughs> like, I I love having some some chill music. Um, I like putting poolside something that's upbeat but not um not too like not too beat heavy, just like chill beat kind of music and i like that just to kind of like set the mood and nate likes the sounds of silence which is another great song um but it's <laughs> the only unfortunately, song i to while i play <laughs> he won't even let me play that so sorry simon and garfunkel we can't even give you a nod here but um yeah uh, i actually like to listen to music when i go to sleep we usually have some sort of ambient like 548 hertz sleeping music so i brought that with me on tour last year at the memorial and like three minutes into it, Nate was like, are you going to have that playing all night? <laughs> and I was like, well, that was the plan. And he was like, can you not, or put it on headphones or something? And I was like, yeah, Nate, that's fine. <laughs>
1: so no, I mean, I, I'm not, what I, are I your interests
2: in music? Like, I, definitely I don't even like, know. I definitely like music, but I,
1: I, yeah, I, I've never been a, a music while I play guy. Cause I, I don't know. I like to talk, I like the conversation and I like to just kind of it's hard for me to focus, I guess. Like maybe the disc flips aren't quite as clean when there's when there's music coming <laughs> in, I'm not sure. But but yeah, there's but germ is like definitely a guy, you know, I don't know how many bluetooth speakers he owns, but I would put it over 5. Like at these big like cuz I've seen him like hooking up more than one, putting them around the room, then all then it's like, "Well, dude, I got this new one. It's $400. It's a little better, so the other ones are kind of obsolete now." So he he's definitely a guy who you know he's got the cart, he's got it rigged up, he's got bungee cords, he's got it all ready to go, and he's kind of like it's You know when we're getting out of the car to do like a practice round, you know he's a, it's like a twenty five minute thing going for him where he's kind of strapping everything onto the cart, getting the shoes on, getting the snacks, whatever. And I think yeah. it's just kind of natural. He gets the music going too, and there's been definitely a few times where I'm like, all right. And a lot of times I don't want it, like I feel bad about it, so like I'll go two or three holes, and then I'll like shank yeah. one. I'm like, yeah. hey man can you turn that off? And then he's always like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I forgot. But like, that's his go-to is to turn on the music. And sometimes I try to kind of power through, but no, I can't really do it. So yeah. In terms of like specific bands. Um, yeah. I mean, I like, I, I like the band Dawes quite a bit. I like like, uh, Connor Oberst and like bright eyes and uh, better oblivion community center and the, the projects that he's been a part of. Um, a lot of stuff, though, that in that sort of same vein, and then you know, like I'm not opposed to some germ music either. Like I tend to like the stuff that Germ plays, but yeah, just not
0: not while I'm trying to putt. So, so what is germ music? What do you, what are you playing, Germ? Okay, look, I'm going to
2: sound like such a. I hate this answer, okay, because this is the answer that everyone gives, and it seems just so repetitive, but very eclectic. I am I am all about. Breaking up the monotony. Um, like I am not I used to listen to a lot of like techno when I was in high school, and then like your your tastes get refined. You don't need that much energy anymore. So I started listening to you know um, more chill uh, indie music. And when I got into indie music, I started thinking, oh my gosh, what why have I been listening to anything else? And then I'm like, you know what, I'm kind of like I get that. It's nice and chill, but like sometimes you need to break it up, listen to some hip hop, and just get that energy out. And so, I, I really am very aware of what I need or what I'm looking for before I start putting, before I put something on. Um, I'd say in general, the, the, the genre that I'm listening to the most is probably going to be something like a future islands radio on Spotify. Um, it's, it's, it's very upbeat, but it's just really like cool, like kind of retro sounding synthy, 80s but like modern indie um i love like the flaming lips i love um like i'm trying to think of like names that people know because there's a lot of stuff that's like like chill stuff like i i really like what nate listens to when we're in the car and we actually are playing music i love the stuff he's playing like angelo Augustine, boni ver um sufion stevens uh i mean it's there's I could go on and on because music is so, so powerful for me. And it has such a important part of like me expressing my feelings at, at any given time. So um, it's hard to like break it down, but there's a few, there's only a few things that I really won't listen to. Like I never really got into metal, hardcore metal, never really did it for me, even though I did listen to a podcast that like got into Norwegian uh, black death metal from the early 90s and like I gave it about two weeks of like trying to like understand where those emotions were coming from but it just didn't express anything that I needed to get out of my system so like I put that to the side um, I never got into any like twangy uh, pop country but I do like a nice country um, I like old Johnny Cash stuff I like uh, some Ryan Adams like really soulful stuff but then at the same time Ryan Adams is kind of an abusive human being. And so it made me like second guess my music preferences when it came to Ryan Adams, even though he's so good. (laughs) It's Um, hard. I think
1: you can, you don't have uh, to support it, but like, there's no question that like bad people can make good music.
2: It's like like, Michael Jackson. That doesn't mean you got
1: to, you don't have to support it after you know that, but like, I don't know. It's it's like a person, you don't have to be like a nice person to make good art.
2: I, yeah, I know. It's like, I I don't want to be like this cancel culture dude who can't appreciate. Like you're saying, like, I want to be able to appreciate the arts for what they are, their art. And art is all about what it, how it instills those feelings in you and how you interpret it. But unfortunately the interpretation I have in art, when it comes to people that have done things that I don't really agree with, it it definitely taints my enjoyment. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give people a pass. I'm just recognizing the fact that, you know, Mm that it's definitely not a a requirement to be like a nice guy. And, you know, once you, once stuff like that comes out, it certainly makes me kind of reevaluate my, Mm -hmm. my preferences and where I want money to go if I'm going to, you know, support something. But, but yeah, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, how weird is it that the guy who knows specifically what hurts he wants to sleep at is like really in tune with what music he wants to listen to (laughs) in any given moment. You never would have thought
0: that. Right oh my gosh
2: <laughs> it's a good sleeping frequency man you should try it out sometime if you could ever get past your disdain for music and sounds in general nate yeah you might yeah. really like it
1: <laughs> yeah uh, if only i knew where to if only i had something to measure the hertz on my songs then maybe i would know a little bit more about why i'm feeling what i'm feeling
2: <laughs> i don't have a hertz measure you just search 548 hertz playlist and then something comes up and sometimes you know what i'm gonna let you in on a little secret nate Sometimes it's not 548 hertz. They just lie and they say that. Oh.
0: (laughs) Man, you're just breaking all sorts of stuff on this show.
2: (laughs) Music industry is a bunch of liars.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't agree with that. Unfortunately, uh, my other my other podcast is a music podcast, so it's based on the band Sublime and uh, and a lot of that wow. musical genre. So, um, yeah, I I grew up a diehard Sublime fan, and uh, I'm working with the Knoll Family Foundation, and uh, I do a podcast with their late frontman sister, and we talk a lot about recovery and other stuff like that. So yeah. when I'm not when I'm not hanging out with Nate and talking about disc golf, I'm hanging out with kelly noel and we're talking to different musicians from uh from a bunch of different bands and so music and disc golf are kind of my two things did you ever hear that one song that did um called what i've got or
2: what i got or whatever something like that uh yeah. i i i'm somewhat familiar with that, with that one you're that, that a, guy germ
0: uh, that was a good song man I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're that guy. And that's OK. But I, you would be surprised how many times I get questions about what the etiquette is for music on the course and if people are playing with earbuds and what they're listening to. And so now we got it out there.
2: Oh, Sublime. What a great what a great listen when you're playing disc golf. I love Sublime.
0: Well, there you go. You can check out our cheap plug Bradley's House podcast <laughs> available everywhere. And uh, you, you can check that out, too. We play a lot of cool music on there. Nice. Right on. So, uh, again, I know you guys are so excited about the season getting off and, and getting started. Jerm, what are you doing to relax before you get into the season here? Uh, your, your time's running up. You're going to be out there playing soon. How are you spending these last few weeks? It hardly feels like relaxing, my man. Um, I have – I have uh,
2: my relaxing just comes when I, when I go to sleep. I, I usually sleep in, and then when I get up, I'm, like, pretty much on the computer – I'm getting a lot of merchandise stuff ready for 2021. Um, Working on practice around Prince apparel. Um, A lot of people have been asking me about coming out with something for that. So I've got a disc stamp that's going to come out at some point. I've got a hat. I've got stickers. And um, anyone that really knows me and knows how extra I am about things knows that these are going to be like really well-made things. And so like I could have pumped out a, a big germ hat a long time ago, but now um, but I, you know, I don't want to just have like a basic hat out there with just normal embroidery and then just call it a day. I want something that's got a little bit extra on it, like a patch in the back or something. It's made with a nice silicone material with the Big Germ logo, not just
0: embroidery. So we're not using Big Germ anymore. It's Big Kahuna.
2: Yeah, I know. But I, I have to brand Big Germ <laughs> because I've already made the investment. So like I, if I told him to change the logo up, it, it I mean, it's just going to be wasted. So. I appreciate that. I totally have thought about that, but unfortunately, the first couple of pieces of merchandise that I, I release are gonna have to be under that brand. Yeah, but it's a transition. It's fine. Um, but yeah, that, that's honestly, that's been taking up pretty much all of my days. Um, I'm working on getting a lot of really cool stickers and stuff like that. And it's just small pieces of 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 just small things, honestly. it's not like a whole store yet, but I want to get to the place where, at some point I can um, I want to I'm really motivated by the idea of being the new Nate Sexton. And by that, I want to be the newest fashion fashionista (laughs) in disc golf. And I know that that's Nate's title right now, but like one day I want to be the guy that kind of brings a disc golf culture that kind of matches what maybe like Hurley has done with like, counterculture, maybe I want to call it counterculture, but like surfing, you know, you associate Billabong and Rip Curl and, and Hurley and some of those other brands with surfing. But I wear those products and I have never surfed and I have no interest in really surfing. I know my body couldn't handle it, but I like the way that it kind of represents that culture. And I think disc golf has a very important message and a very important culture that we need to bring to some sort of clothing at some point and and i don't think i know any person in disc golf better for the job than than me honestly and and i kind of want to get to a place where someday that could be like one of the things i provide for the disc golf community I'll 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 give it a try it sounds good to me i knew you'd say that and that's why i've got things on their way
0: to you right now buddy (laughs) well you've got that you had that indiana germ look going in your one practice round so that's that's one style right there that you can go with
2: yeah that was uh the indiana germ thing i thought was going to be a big hitter it might come back in 2021 but um if i get these hats together i really want to like baseball hats or that's like been my style since I've started playing disc golf. So I don't know if I really need to change things up for any, any good reason, but.
0: Well, Nate, one of the things that we have done uh, almost each week here on running it with Nate Sexton is you've taken a disc from your bag and you've kind of given a breakdown on why you use it, how you use it, what you use it for. Why not just do one while we got Germ sitting here with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, again, last time we did the Thunderbird, for obvious reasons, hit one of his uh, signature discs or his Tour Series disc. And this time we're going to do another disc that I know is near and dear to his heart that we both throw, and that is the Star Wraith, or just even the oh, Wraith yeah. in general. Uh, yeah. Kind of a an old stalwart distance driver now. I think it came out around 2006. Uh, it's a Speed 11 from Innova. And uh, yeah, for me, it's... a uh, it's a great distance driver. If I feel like I I don't even really know why, but for me, I feel like it kind of it's just a mellower version of the destroyer. The distance is not that different. I just feel like it it doesn't swing as hard or flip as hard. And if I if I want to throw with a little bit more control, it just backing off the speed a little bit. And and it also really is comfortable in the forehand as well if i want to have like a really straight flying forehand with like a still a decent finish at the end so that's kind of the thing i use it for right now i'm only carrying one but i bet you this guy right here uh, is carrying more than that and he he uses it a lot
2: more than i do the wraith is a very important disc for for not just me now but the development of me and in, in my my game um christmas twenty two thousand six. 2006 so yeah, December two thousand six. I remember that was like four months, four or five months after I started playing. Just I have to have this disc, and um, I I got a one sixty seven grammed, like that neon yellow green star wraith, and um, at the time I was throwing the orc like crazy because that was just technology back then, and I remember going to. Chigaw creek and hole 10 was 375 feet and uh it was actually hole 11 and i remember seeing this guy just ripping all the way down there and it i could get there but i never got there that fast and i just remember seeing it from the side and i was like dude what was that and he said that's a wraith so the disc was brand new because i think it initially came out at the very end of 2005 and and I was still brand new, so I didn't know all the discs that were out there in the market. But as soon as he said that, it reminded me of my local head shop that, that sold discs. And I remember seeing one there, and I was like, man, I have to get one of those. That's, that is the disc I need. And when I got that Christmas present, I threw that disc all the time. The, the orc kind of went to the side of the bag, and the Wraith was my new disc. And I learned pretty much everything that I know now about high speed distance drivers and controlling that speed in the woods because of that disc. And I, um, I, I went to to craft in 2008 and I played for them for five years or five seasons. And then I played for prodigy for four seasons and th- Discraft had the surge, which was very similar to the Wraith, but it it wasn't quite as overstable, so it wasn't as good at high speed. The Wraith is like what Nate's saying; it's like that. It's a little bit more workable destroyer. It doesn't quite require as much left to right space. It can be a little bit more understable, so you can give it a little bit more hyzer and keep a straighter line in the woods. But it does give you the distance that you really need. But it gives you that controllability that a destroyer might skip a little bit more or acquire a little bit more fairway space. It's just has been such an important disc. And, and like he says, he, he doesn't use it as much as I do. I've got anywhere from, if it's a course that's really heavily destroyer favorable, I might have three rates in my bag, but if we're going somewhere in the woods like Delaware or Maple Hill, I'll have probably five different rates in my bag that fly from incredibly understable to brand new that are um, a little bit more controllable than a destroyer a little bit slower but still pretty overstable and i'll I'll use each one throughout the entire event and probably not throw another high-speed driver other than a wraith
0: all right so there you guys heard it the star wraith on our disc breakdown guys i gotta ask you And I'm sure that I have a completely different point of view than you guys do, but I get asked this question all of the time. It comes up in all of the comments. And after last week's show, Mez, you guys really pounded on James Conrad and he held pretty tight, um, didn't give it up. But the next day announced that he was going to MVP fans bring up all the time that why isn't the money announced and every other pro athlete, when they sign a contract, We know how much they signed that contract for. Do you think eventually we'll get there in disc golf or is this something that you think will always just kind of stay under the carpet?
1: Well, I think uh, an important distinction to make there is that disc golfers are, these are endorsement deals. These are not salaries as would be paid by like a league that's like uh, has all their books open to the public in a way, you know, so. Makes I don't sense know that we I don't know that we actually do know everything about other athletes' endorsement deals uh because we do not operate under like a big league that pays checks to the players you know we have the p d g a that's like more of a regulatory body and like a sanctioning uh, uh vehicle or whatever they're they're putting their blessing on all the tournaments and doing the insurance and running that whole schedule and they're very important, but they're certainly not paying players, so I don't know that that will ever be um uh, like truly just like wide open and public because it's a little bit different. I think when it's a endorsement of a company rather than mm-hmm. salary for like signing a contract to do a job for like a business, like a league.
2: Yeah. It is interesting to think about. Cause I, you know, it, it would certainly help uh, the players who are working on contracts to kind of know what's out there and to recognize, you know, I mean, I'm providing this and that and this and, You know, and, and you're, and this guy's providing this and that and this, and our contracts are similar, but what, what exactly, why, you know, like you see that with like wide receivers, like, Hey, I'm the best wide receiver, man. Like why, why am I like on the lower half of wide receivers and their agent goes to work for them, you know? And, and so it, it is interesting for, for us to think about like how you can, um, making a true living from the sport and really make it uh, so that you're not playing from week to week and just relying solely on your earnings from a tournament to tournament. But um, yeah, it's, it's different. Our The scope of our sport is,
0: is certainly different than any of those other major five. Well I think Nate made a great point that it's not it's not a contract it's a, it's an endorsement and you know we have no idea what Sprite is paying LeBron James so um, you know if you look at it that way, but let's be honest, you guys are all talking in the clubhouse or, or hanging out before right like hey, what are they what are they giving you? See if your oh. deal's better than mine, right?
1: For sure. You know, among friends, I mean, I think uh, players are armed with a lot more knowledge than fans when they're going into those negotiations with the manufacturer, because certainly we are going to talk amongst ourselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, and get and help try to help each other, you know, understand our value or understand, you know, what this company is doing maybe differently than this company. And, you know, there's that's all kind of getting passed around so that all the companies are, you know, they're always in competition and trying to offer the most competitive deals to players to be able to you know retain as much talent and the type of the brand ambassadors that they're looking for
0: all right now before we get into fan questions here i gotta ask just so we can keep it going jeremy you got any cool rv stories (laughs) (laughs) i've uh rv
2: stories i mean i that's always been like the dream is to get in the rv and 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 do the disc golf tour that way but um I've actually never had the luxury of of having my own R V and um I mean there are stories for sure, but I can't think of anything off the top of the, my head because
1: we, we may I made the joke last week with Jomez that uh this is not a disc golf podcast, it's an R V horror stories podcast. So it's funny how quick that dream can go nightmare. And what I'm gonna ask you to do, Germ, if okay, you're willing,
2: okay.
1: is give sure. us a ninety second version. I know this is gonna be tough for you. Ninety oh, second version. Of what happened at the clock when that Venza was rolling into Utah (laughs) and you realized that your keys were about 400 miles behind you.
2: I didn't realize it until after I pumped the gas in the car. Um, I don't know what happened. Um, I was was in um, Oregon. I actually had left Whistler's Bend, the doubles, and I was heading straight to Peoria for Ledgestone. And what should have been a 30 something hour commute ended up being 55 hours that I was in a car uh, or around the car, but not like in a hotel, not sleeping 55 hours around a car. Um, I drove straight from Oregon to somewhere in Idaho and I slept in a rest stop for about two hours used the bathroom, came back to the car. And of course, because there's a steering wheel in the driver's seat, I slept in the passenger seat. So when I was organizing everything back into the passenger seat and getting everything situated, I believe I rested my keys on top of my car. Well, (laughs) when the keys are close enough to the ignition, it'll start. What it also does is it gives you a little indication. If your keys aren't detected in the vehicle, key not detected. Don't drive away. <laughs> well, there was another message that was currently on that display board. So I did not see that message. So I'm, I'm thinking what happened is I drove five and a half hours from Idaho all the way to Ogden, Utah. Like I passed toads, which is where the tournament literally happens for Utah open the exit before I pulled off and got gas and I got gas and I recognized that my key, my keys were not detected. I hadn't gone to the bathroom. I literally just gone to pump gas. And so I was looking, it wasn't on me. It wasn't in my clothes. And then freak out mode began, ended up being like a six hour detour. I had to get towed all the way to Salt Lake city, which is like an hour and a half. It ended up being like five, 600 bucks for the new key, the tow, and everything included. It was a nightmare. So there's my nightmare story. That was awful absolutely awful that's our fans feed off of that they love to hear that (laughs) that's great
0: well eat up baby because that one (laughs) that one
2: cost me time
0: and money (laughs) yeah those uh those keys that that, you know that that you just push the buttons man those i was in the i was in the car business for a long time expensive and uh i i had a guy on a dealer trade getting a corvette and he had gone like 250 miles and stopped to get gas. And he couldn't get out of the car. He was locked in the car completely. The car shut what? down. What? It, when it, yeah, he couldn't get out of the car. We had to send AAA there and we had to have somebody come out and cut a key right on the spot. And it was a, a huge oh mess. Uh, and I felt so bad for the guy that I got him another dealer trade two weeks later and it was on another Corvette. And he calls me at like eleven o'clock at night and I'm like, there's no way this happened again. And he goes, Listen, I, I remembered the key this time, I've got the key, but I just pumped diesel into the car. Oh, oh no so I know. So I had to send a long on the road. <laughs> so I had to send a flatbed and have it flatbedded the rest of the way and drop the tank and yeah. So but those uh those keys, they'll oh get you, man. Gosh. Yeah
2: they definitely will i've i've had just like a plane key replaced um that had i guess a chip in it i i i guess if you just have a key that yeah, they have chips in them so like you have a starter key that can start the car but it won't drive But then there's like keys that start the car with chips in it so they can drive. And one of those snapped in half because I was an idiot. I was like 22 years old and I tried opening a a beer bottle (laughs) with the key. (laughs) I mean, I thought the key would be strong enough to open a bottle of beer, but apparently it was not. And then ended up being like a $200
0: beer. So that sucked. That is that is no good. Stupid. Well, Nate, we've Uh, uh, we've introduced the fan questions and we've given fans the opportunity to actually send an audio question into the show, um, so they could have their voice and their question be a part of running it with Nate Sexton. Well. We got a ton of them for this episode, and we're never going to get to them all, but we did pick out a few that kind of stood out. And when I tell you these questions came from all over the world, these questions came from all over the world. We've had Sweden and Australia and uh, London, and I can't believe the reach that that this show's got and and all of the people that are looking uh, to ask some questions. So, Jerem, what do you think, man? You want to take a couple questions? Definitely. Let's get into it.
1: Hey, Nate and Jarrett and possibly another celebrity guest. Uh, my name's Callum, I'm from Scotland and currently live on of Butte, which is a small island off the west coast of Scotland, uh, where there isn't much disc golf at all, really. So that's the basis of my question, would be, um, what do you guys think that is the best way to practice when there's no real disc golf courses and no great weather for playing disc golf in? So do you guys have any drills or anything you'd recommend for somebody wanting to practice? And probably the second part of my question links into that being, in Europe, obviously, disc golf isn't as big as it is in the U.S. at the moment. However, the Scandinavian countries are quickly catching up with some amazing course development. The U.K. is getting there as well. What do you guys think of the European scene? And do you think in the next few years we'll start to see kind of that same growth? Uh, thanks very much for letting me speak. And
2: thank you very much for the podcast, guys. It's going great. And I am really enjoying listening to you. Cheers. That's amazing. All right, first off, this guy is clearly well-versed in disc golf, which is just Really cool um, th- those are questions from somebody who really has their finger on the pulse of the of the sport, and um, <clears throat> I think it's great hearing from Scotland Nate i don't know if you've met any other Scottish people who um, are involved with disc golf or who came across this golf and were like incredibly interested um, i don't know that I have I have come across. A number, I would say not anything crazy, but like I've met no less than seven or eight people who were Scottish and were just over here visiting, and're either at um the brewery that we played uh, that we did our putting league at, or were walking in a park and there was this golf and i've I've met so many people from Scotland who had not been exposed to the sport, which Blew me away because I, I just when I th- I have never been to Scotland, but when I think of like what I think of what the countryside might look like, I'm just thinking like, man, what a great place for like the windiest disc golf course ever on these like beautiful <laughs> plains of land. Um, I, I don't really know much about the infrastructure of the parkland and how they distribute what can go where. That's an important thing to understand about each area, um, and. You know, disc golf for a long time in America was strategically placed in the thick of the woods, strategically used baskets that kind of blend in with Mother Nature because they weren't necessarily trying to say, hey, we've got disc golf here. It wasn't until the last 10 years or so, and more specifically, probably the last five years where parks really understood the interest in the draw in disc golf and were more accustomed and more likely to use a yellow basket, put the baskets near the street so people could see it driving and that would draw people into the park. So you have to work on a good relationship with the parks department in order to get disc golf courses in. And that's a tough thing to do when there's not a precedent of that already in Scotland, but man, what do you have to yeah. say? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously you know, I, to Callum's question, I think it was Callum, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, you know, putting practice, obviously. You're, you're probably already doing that. The thing that I've heard of people doing, and I hope you're lucky enough to live at least in, in range of some people that also have a passion for disc golf. If you don't, that's that's even trickier. But I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I know that I have gotten messages in the past from people, I feel like either Singapore or Taiwan, and they said they didn't really have a course but that they did have some public parks, and like the, the four or six of them would have their traveler basket, like a, a Innova traveler, the the cloth folding one, and they mm-hmm. would get their day on the weekend to go out and take turns making up the holes and just playing a course in a in a public space out on the moors. I think I don't think it's plains in Scotland, Germ. I think it's moors. Okay. Okay. But, uh,
2: great. Thank you. But
1: yeah, I think uh, I think that would be ideal you know and and what Germs saying is even one level past that if 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 you are lucky enough to find some parkland and be able to get a, a club together uh to be able to show the interest to have like a public facility then fantastic but before you can get there i hope that you at least have some playing partners and that you guys can get out there and play either object golf or or even better go around to a basket and take turns setting that thing up as far as european disc golf and the growth of european disc golf i think I think you might be underselling Finland when you say they're starting to catch up with the United States. <laughs> yeah, I no feel kidding. like maybe they already passed us. I mean, I don't think they passed us in terms of the pro scene, but in terms of the, the public interest. Yeah, just how big of a part of, of uh, Finland disc golf is. I think they're probably the world leader. So hmm. uh, I, I hope that that can kind of find its way into uh, the southern Europe and other parts of Europe uh but i think it'll take time i think it's it's happening certainly in estonia um czech republic definitely on that growth curve as well a lot of countries are i'm really hopeful for that uh you know moving into you know spain and italy and some of those other you know countries that you think of when you're thinking of like the the big uh important european countries
2: it's really like the the step away from the Olympics right now for us is that we, we have Scandinavia. We've got obviously, you know, North America. Um, and then, you know, the other places in the world that play disc golf are kind of spotty. Um, you know, there's been a few small tournaments and clinics conducted in Africa, but it hasn't picked up in any major capacity. Um, South America. I don't really know anything about disc golf in South America. I know there's small amounts of it in every place of the world but um as far as it actually gaining traction um i don't know what's taking the world so long to get the message um and you know when i think of the movers and shakers in the sport i think of a few names but one of them that comes immediately to mind since we're talking about finland is uc moresma and just the number of courses that he's had a direct hand in in designing and stalling and all that. Think about where Finland would be if Yusim Resma was into curling, you know, or <laughs> like something else. I mean, the the country has a has a very specific individual that they can point to and say this is the man who pioneered this growth. And when I think of Scotland, I think, man, like, how do we, how do we get more disc golf in the UK area? How do we get more disc golf in Scotland? How do we get more in Ireland? How do we get more in England? And I know Derek Robbins is, he's a hall of famer and he's an important disc golf figure in, in, um, in great Britain, but you know, like maybe he's a, a good person to reach out to and say, Hey, like you, you would, he would better understand the hurdles in, in, in your area than, than I would. Um, And so maybe he's the kind of person that you can maybe begin some correspondence with and and try to figure out what, what do we have to do? Um, But there's nothing that says that you can't be that person for your country that pioneers that growth and with enough motivation and, you know, a little bit of uh, help from your American friends over here, um, you know, helping you with deals with getting courses installed and stuff like that, you know, that all it takes is just a couple of courses. And then you start getting word out in the newspaper and public interest starts getting bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, you got two courses in the area and you know, the, the sport sells itself. Once a course is in the ground, you don't have to do any other selling, you know, the disc golf itself is, is exploding for good reason. And so it just takes a little bit of effort on the, on the front end. And then, you know, it's amazing what happens after that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I just want to thank him for the question. And the last thing I want to say, when you say uh, that, you know, North America is already into disc golf, I just got to say, we are dropping the ball on Mexico and uh, Mexico, <laughs> seriously, Mexico needs to get into yeah. disc golf. If you're a Mexi- if you're a Mexican <laughs> and you sure. hear this show and you play mm-hmm. disc golf, send me a message, let me know how I can help. I know that it's that Paul Macbeth is into it. He's got Mexican heritage. Him and I have talked before about the lack of disc mm-hmm. golf in Mexico Send me a message. If you're in Mexico and you're playing disc golf and you hear this show, send me a message. We're going to, I want to help that scene grow. I don't know how yet. I just want to talk to you. Thank you. Let's hear that next question.
0: Our next question is for germ and it comes from Doug Otto.
2: Hey guys. Question for germ. As a tall guy, I've ran into a couple issues with low ceilings and other challenges in the disc golf course. What challenges or differences do you have as an above average human?
0: Not just height, Whoa, but above the
2: average wait, human. Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> that was not I we made a. That we made a, a, There was a leap there.
2: <laughs> was, that is an open-ended question. I, I appreciate the uh, acknowledgement that there are some some struggles um, <laughs> as a tall individual. Um, one would be bruising the uh, my chin on the top of the refrigerator door. Um, the endless toes. I mean, just endless supply of them, Um, you know, bending over to 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 pick something up. I mean, I don't know. That's a that's a tough question. I don't know what it's like to not be tall. I've been tall uh, ever since I got this tall, which has been a long time.
0: (laughs) That's a great quote right there.
2: I <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard to remember because you know when you're when you're getting older and everyone has that little growth spurt um uh you know you get to a point where everything just seems goofy and on and you're kind of getting used to your uh your size but you know that's so long ago that it's hard to remember what it was like when I wasn't 66 um but disc golf specifically if we're going to go towards disc golf you know I it's awkward putting downhill. I got to say if like a steep downhill and and it's like inside the circle putts, I always feel very uncomfortable with like, where do I put my legs? How do I do that? I think that's probably uncomfortable for everyone, but, um, I think steep inclines and declines. So like doing a run up uphill, it's very difficult for me to get my body in a rhythmic manner, uh, when I'm trying to throw a backhand uphill and, um, that's something that I'm always impressed with how James Conrad can kind of smoothly transition his body. Sometimes when he has to jump up onto a tee pad, how he can keep his body's um, momentum and balance centered. And it seems like it doesn't really affect him. It affects me big time. And I think that's probably a height thing. It might be a a knees related or a back related thing as well, but I, I think I attribute that to height. So that's a problem I have.
1: Well, at the local course right near my house, when uh, Jeremy was here for ESPN commentary, uh, we went out and played around and he hit his head on a overhanging branch. And to this day, every time Coraline, oh, I, Coraline really and I hard. go there, she's like, Daddy, watch out for that branch. And I'm always like, it's not an issue for us, Coraline. <laughs> we don't need to worry about the branch. That's a
2: big jump. I whacked my head so hard. Yeah, I was walking backwards talking to Coraline. And then, like, yep. it's like one of those moments where you hit your head so hard that like it rattles you a little bit. And you also are around the presence of a child. So you have to like maintain yeah. your composure. But yeah. I did not want to maintain my composure at that moment. That hurt really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it rattled me good.
0: Well, there you have it <laughs> Question, now. Though. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Now we've got another question. This one coming to us from Australia.
1: Hey guys, it's O here from Brisbane, Australia. Huge fan of the show, huge fan of Big Sexy. Now I've always wanted to know, Nate
0: Sexton's calf definition, is it big or is it sexy? <laughs> Fair <laughs> question, because those calves are massive.
1: That's a what? that's an old school showman's fan. That's a showman's fan right there.
2: <laughs> Big or sexy. That was that's a first episode. That we never did that after that first episode. Really? That's um, it? Okay. Well, I th- man, I, I think so. I gotta recuse myself here. All right. Um a lot of pressure here. Um you know, I I gotta say, before I got my teeth fixed, there wasn't I don't remember a time when anyone was ever like, "Oh, I really like this one specific thing about you, Germ." The one thing that I would ever get compliments by the by the fair sex in my body, and I know this is a Nate question, but the, I would get compliments on my calves and on my legs. So, ex facto, I have to say that if legs are sexy and they're and they're drawing the eyes of the fair sex, that Nate's calves. If if you're even bringing this up at all, they've got to be sexy. I mean, I I don't recall them being like big like Avery Jenkins tree trunks. But if they're notable at all, then I'm gonna go ahead and go with the latter of the two.
1: And no, it's my final. I got answer. no
2: problem with that. I have no problem with that. They're
0: they're also they're also pretty big. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, it's really just an amazing, uh, amazing to see these questions coming in from from all over the world uh, and to know that people are checking out the podcast. Now, Jerm, it's really cool that we got into it earlier in the show, because another question that I got on Facebook um, was somebody saying, hey, we know you are a, a huge fan of art. Who are some of your favorite artists?
2: Ooh, Wow um that's a really good question i mean that that goes back to like what inspired me as a kid so like graphically i was always super inspired by mc escher and his use of different dimensions in his work and like really challenging the brain and his work with tessellations always really intrigued my eye for patterns um i was always really intrigued with geometric shapes and patterns and stuff like that and and maybe no one better um to bring that art to to the forefront than escher um i really like graffiti and i was really inspired by a lot of graffiti artists um a lot of them are no-name people but i mean like i like the the idea of messing with conventional norms like banksy um but there's so many good artists. Um a lot of them aren't coming to my mind right now. Um I'm trying to think of um uh Shepard Ferry. I really like his graphic stuff. He he's the he's really famous for doing the uh, Obey brand, but he also did the Hope poster for Obama. Um he's done a lot of other uh portraits of of notable figures, a lot of famous um women figures. He's he's created the same style of portraits, and he's really great. Um I really like um keith herring he does those stick figures those dancing stick figures um he's great i was really inspired a lot when i was growing up with super photorealism. so i really like chuck close he was my favorite and probably the most excited i've ever been going to a museum with seeing an up close and personal chuck close no pun intended um painting just to see the detail that he's putting into it and that he was doing these paintings in um in a wheelchair with like a machine that lifted him up was, was just fascinating. Um, and my, I have one other artist that I really, really, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to remember his name right now. Um, but I believe he's actually Scottish. So our Scottish listener might know who he is, but he does these amazing, um, por, uh, uh, he's a, he takes photographs of things that he does in nature. Um, so he's creating unnatural shapes with naturally found things like he he'll spend like eight hours creating this structure out of ice in a spiral and just take pictures of it and then it will melt and then it'll it'll be gone forever. Or he'll take different leaves and put them in a, in a pattern so that the leaves kind of create this natural fade. And, um, and then the leaves just get blown by the wind and then it's gone but he's really famously, he's really well known for his stone walls um, where he creates these like stone walls that are in the shape of a a river. And those are actually still up and and those don't get knocked down. But um, I really wish I could remember his name right now, but I remember discovering him in high school, watching this documentary. And, um, and anyways, there's just so many people. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because so much of my graphic style is just an influence of all these different directions. I mean, that's what art is. It's just, there's nothing that's really, truly original. It's all just being influenced by other things you've seen and experienced and enjoyed. But that's a great question. I'm glad they asked that.
0: Yeah. I'm a big Charles Schultz fan. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, he did Charlie Brown. And yeah. That's, that's about as artsy as I get. Yeah, I did have an opportunity to go to the Louvre and I did walk around the Louvre in, in France and I'm told I saw some of the greatest art pieces, uh, ever made, but, I, I just didn't appreciate it the way that it probably should have been.
2: Andy Goldsworthy, that's his name. Look up Andy Goldsworthy and just look at some of the images. Absolutely amazing stuff. I mean, it is just inspiring what he does just for the love of creating it. And then, and then
0: it's gone. It's just beautiful stuff. Well, cool. I thought that was a really neat answer. And I knew that as you guys started talking about, art and, and some of the things that inspired you earlier in the episode, I thought, wow, it's really cool that somebody else out there, uh, knew about this and, and was interested in who your, um, artistic inspirations were, I guess. We've got another question that came in through, uh, email and this one comes to us from Adam Grigsby. He says, how do you throw the AVR X3 so well and so far? I can forehand pretty well with mids and drivers and even a few different putters. But every time I try to flick my X3, it comes out wobbly and doesn't do what I want. I know that feeling.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. Just call me Adam
2: Grigsby. (laughs) Well, Adam, that's a good question. And uh, definitely call Nate Adam Grigsby for a while because he's (laughs) at the same issue uh, that you're describing now. And, and, you know, it took a, a little bit of time. Um I got the AVRX3 uh a couple of months after it came out. It was a I got one in the players pack from I believe the 2016 USDGC. Um and when I got it at first, I it was the first ones they came out with were incredibly concave and and they're pretty deep rim, pretty deep profile. And and honestly, I didn't find them to be that comfortable in the hand. So I didn't even really throw them. Um but next March, um or next April, sometime that th- th- was my first season actually with Innova. Um, my friend gave me one, said that they're really great for approaches and that I should try it out. And I had tried the AVR-3 um, before the X3 came out and it just wasn't for me. So I, I needed something with a little bit more stability. So I gave it a shot and immediately, once I got over the fact that it was a little concave, um, the grip was kind of just a matter of really just trusting Putting as much spin on it as possible, and so that 's what I was thinking in my head. I could throw this disc as hard as I want, and actually started to realize that the concave shape of the disc was was uh, benefiting me because now I had a disc that I could throw really hard directly at the basket, and because it 's concave it doesn 't have a ton of extra glide, and it really wants to get down to the ground pretty quick um, so now I could run run the basket with 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 a great deal of confidence that I wasn't going to have a super long comeback putt. And so um, I started to just trust the disc would take any kind of torque I wanted to put on it. And that's what I think I like about the disc is that it's very torque resistant. So, um, but to, to utilize that torque resistance, you have to make sure that you're throwing proper mechanics. and, And I still try to keep my palm up. I still try to keep my elbow in, but at the very end, I'm really focusing on giving that disc as much spin as possible. And with that spin, the disc will uh, flatten its flight out. And, and, and the idea is that with more spin, you get less flutter. And so um, other than that, I'd have to really see uh, a video of you throwing to see if I can figure it out. I still haven't been able to figure out what's wrong with Nate. Um, and I've known him for a really long time. So who knows? <laughs> Thanks for the question, Adam.
0: Yeah, Adam, thank you very much. And uh, anyone else, guys, in the future, if you want to have any of your questions featured on Running It with Nate Sexton, the email is runningitpodcast at gmail.com. Just make sure you go ahead and send a clear recording over. And in the body of the email, type your question out. This prevents me from having to listen to the same question three or four times. I can read through, pick them out, and uh, have you guys featured on the show.
1: And I just want to thank the people that have taken the time to do that. It's so much more fun to hear from the, the actual question asker. Mm-hmm. So really appreciate yeah, that. Great. And I hope everybody kind of gets going on that. Cause I think it just makes a better show if we can hear your voice reading the question and, uh, and give the answer straight to you.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I think we had another awesome episode and you know what, I don't, we don't have to go too crazy because Jeremy, you're going to be back again to hang out with us. I hope. Um, Anything that you want to plug? I know we talked about your social media and stuff last time. You got anything new going on that fans can can check out? You know, I mean, just following
2: me on on Instagram. um, I'm planning on doing some giveaways soon because I do have the I've got some cool merchandise coming in uh, that I'm really excited about. I'm really happy to to actually have something with the Big Germ brand on it. And, And it's something that's really a long time coming. It's something that I've I've really felt kind of a shame that I haven't had more in the past, but that'll, that'll be dropping, um, before, before Vegas, before the season starts, there will be some stuff. So, um, keep your eyes peeled. If you're interested in anything, um, that has my branding on it or anything that, you know, if you like my stylistic, uh, if you like the cut of my jib, if you will, I've got some cool stuff coming. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Germ. go click the link in my Instagram bio. Let me know if you need any of that gear, man. I'll I'll definitely bring it to you. <laughs>
2: well, I appreciate that. And I uh I was kind of already expecting you to do that without me asking, but since well, you're asking, I, I'll go ahead and get Yeah, tell me well. what specifically you're looking for. <laughs> Deal. I'm He's here. got
0: the hookup. <laughs> you know a guy. All right, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, Germ, thank you so much again for another awesome conversation, and uh, look forward to plenty more. You guys can check out Nate, Germ, Yuli, and Jomez on Show Mez live every Thursday night on YouTube. Um, awesome time with that as well. I can see how much fun you guys are having, and uh, and these first couple shows with you guys all on there has just been incredible. Yeah, man, yeah, check it out. It's
2: five o'clock Hawaiian time. 10 o'clock Eastern time. Don't forget.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good. Thanks, Germ.
0: Of course. Thank you. Well, Nate, you did it again. Another amazing guest. Uh, Having Big Germ back, it didn't feel too soon. Uh, In fact, I I missed him while he was gone, so it was exciting (laughs) to have him back on. It's always a great conversation with him, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really glad that he's willing to come back on and I'm excited about the prospect of having him kind of as a recurring guest and getting to maybe work in some little segments that we'll do only with him or whatever and just have the fans look forward to sending in their questions for him.
0: Yeah, and he shared some cool stuff with us off air that he's going to share for the uh, for the next time that he's on, and, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, so again, guys, we thank you so much for joining us on another edition of Running It with Nate Sexton. You guys have questions, comments, anything that you want to hear us talk about, you can go ahead and – email us it's runningitpodcast at gmail.com nate is on instagram at frisbee nate he also has that um, page on facebook nate sexton uh, we have the instagram page at Running It with Nate Sexton. And uh, we thank our sponsors. Uh, Fisher Disc Golf has just meant so much to this show. Make sure you check them out at fisherdiscgolf.com using code RUNIT10. And, of course, a huge thank you to our friends over at Udisc uh, and all of the neat stuff that they've got going on. Nate, another awesome episode. I had a lot of fun, and uh, I know that there's a lot of shows out there that are starting to talk about some disc golf, and there's a lot of fun stuff going on, and sometimes people kind of just like to be safe, and they're going to go ahead and lay it up, but here?
1: Man, map-based scoring, there's nowhere to hide. We got to run it.